Boots and Backstraps, brought to you by Homes by Shane and produced by Danny Geo Productions. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Boots and Backstraps podcast. Come on now. Honey's on, looking for backstraps, way deep in the woods. Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield under the harvest moon. When the tags are filled, it's time to switch up our boots. Head down to the honky tonk, get us a swing dance or two. We're talking about boots and backstraps. Hey everybody, this is a show where we talk all things hunting and country music. From the classics through today. From big bucks to bull elk. We've got it all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Boots and Backstraps. I am your host, Shane Michael, and I'm joined in studio, as always, by my ever-so-handsome and soon-to-be-filling-an-antelope tag <laughs> co-host, Mr. Tom Cat. Come on, now. How we doing, sir? Doing great, man. I'm excited. I'm really excited about tonight's guest. Yeah, I know you are. I know you are. He and I go back way, way back, and if you're a, an archery guy or any a hunting guy, I'm sure you bought products from Archery those. person archery but he covers a lot of hunting even uh non-archery yeah for sure well we're uh we just had a great episode last week where we talked about recaps for the reunion party and yeah, we fast and of course the impending antelope season which we're i know you and i are both excited about very excited leaving in, a, in a, just a few weeks here like three weeks yep we'll be out west hunting a new antelope. camper a new old camper we're gonna yeah. drag out there but let's get right into your uh first segment tell uh, for those of you that aren't aware, Shane has become a bourbon aficionado, and uh, every week he brings on a different bourbon. You know, you gotta, you're going to have a lot of open bottles at your house. If you came to my place right now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the cool thing is, let me just say this, what you can see in the camera, this shirt, it says, I love my wife, but what you can't see is, is I love when my wife lets me go hunting. <laughs> so she's, my wife is quite clever. She found this shirt, and of course it's... Uh, it's got the American flag on it, which I'm a big fan of. I'm very pro-USA, patriotic. Um, anyway, so she is super supportive of my whiskey slash bourbon habit because I, I do have some other stuff in my collection. I've got some Irish. I've got some Japanese. Oh, yeah. Um, I also have, uh, I think, a, a single, like one scotch. I'm just not a, a fan of scotch. My Mine neither. Yeah, it's that peat flavor that just doesn't rest with me. Yeah. You know, I like the caramels and the vanillas and the fruits and things, which is why I gravitate to whiskey and bourbon more specifically. So we have an awesome bottle tonight. This is one that I picked up specifically for you, TK, because it does, as people can kind of see in the camera, it's got this uh, North American antelope, also known as what? Speed goat. Speed goats. Um, We've got we, a few names. Yeah, pronghorn. Um, so, yeah, speed goats is what is what the uh, layman term for them is, what hunters like to call them, because... They are the fastest um, mammal in North America. They're unbelievable. If you ever hunt them, especially with the bow, and our guest here has hunted them quite a bit, and we'll get into that, but you would think they're from a different planet. <laughs> they are. I mean, I, I think I even talked about this last week on the show, how I could crawl up a, an embankment and peek my head just through a clump of sagebrush, mm -hmm. and they could literally be a mile, maybe even two miles out, and the whole herd will go, beep. Yeah, and amazing. Yes. And I'm like, what did they see? They couldn't have seen me, but they do. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they um they actually run because this has one of been one of those things is not only do they have incredible vision, but they're incredibly fast. We talked about them being the fastest North American mammal, fifty five miles an hour. Yeah, fifty five. I thought I heard sixty five, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Either sure. way, a lot faster than I can run. That's for sure. God, they're amazing. Yeah, I, I can remember on numerous antelope trips with you watching them when a herd takes off, crest to horizon in in minutes. Yep. Just they're incredible. amazing animals, and they're so fun to hunt. They are a lot of fun. Challenging. Yeah. So this particular, uh, this is a bourbon this week. It's not whiskey. This one's bourbon. Um, well, bourbon is whiskey, but this is bourbon specifically. Um, and this is called High West, and High West is a distillery out of Utah. And, uh, or wait, Idaho, sorry. Um, out of Idaho. And uh, Danny's got the graphic there. This particular uh, bottle, and the reason why I picked this one up in in especially is because this is a bottle that's dedicated. This bottle is created in dedication to a project that high West is part of, which is called the American Prairie reserve. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so this American Prairie reserve is a giant group of, um, uh, national wildlife preservation organizations that are working together to create the largest, um, wildlife preserve in the lower 48 States, everything except Hawaii and Alaska. So their goal ultimately is to have 5,000 square acres. Wow. And to put that into perspective for those people that are trying to think of what what's 5,000 square acres. 5,000 square acres is larger than Yellowstone, Yosemite, and the Tetons all combined. So it's a huge preserve or reserve that they're trying to set up for these wildlife to reserve all these species like antelope. So you're 5,000? 5,000 square miles. See, you said acres, so you had me a little confused. Oh, yeah, miles, sorry. 5,000 square miles. Okay, now we're talking. Yeah, 5,000 square <laughs> miles is what the reserve is, is the goal is for the reserve. Yeah, that's cool. So this particular whiskey um, is also, it's on the lower side of the proof rating. This one's a 48%, which makes it a 96 proof. Um, and, uh, so it's going to definitely be more on the sweet side. Oh, sorry, 46. So it's 92 proof. Um, and so this is definitely going to be more on the sweet side. It's not going to have as much of that, uh, you know, the knob Creek we were talking about with your, with your buddy here earlier, yeah. the knob Creek and how it's, <laughs> that knob Creek burns you in the front and in the finish. This one's not going to do that. This is going to be a little bit of an easier drinker. Um, and, and high West is very popular in the bourbon circle. So that's what we're drinking tonight. Well, why don't you pour myself, yourself, and Bruce? I will taste, and let's have you intro our guest while I do so. Yeah, I'd love to. Me and this guy have got so much in common. We've known each other for years and years. We've even talked about him on uh, past podcasts, and especially when we had Bill Robinson on. Bill is the inventor and creator of the product that everybody uses, especially if they're archery hunting, scent shield, and. We won't go into the patents and all that happened with that, but uh, Bill never did patent that, and now there's quite a few products. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? It is nice. Bruce, do you want to put that on the nose there? You betcha. So while he's smelling Ooh, that, I'll... Tasty. <laughs> he's like delicious. the largest uh, hunting rep in the nation. At least he was. Now he's retired. Uh, we're going to shift the camera over to introduce Bruce Adola. Here's Bruce. Thank you. Bruce, Good welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh. Cheers. Oh, hang on. We don't have anything yet. Oh, okay. As they say in uh, my family, uh, when they propose a toast, the uh, 
it's always a raise the glass and then Nostrovia, which is good health oh, yeah. in Polish. I'm a Polak, too. I think we have that in common. You and I have a lot of things in common. <laughs> yeah, we do. And it Cheers. just amazes me that you and I have never hunted together. Oh, that's good. That is delicious. Tastes like more. It does. It tastes yeah. like more. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Would you uh, mind giving Nicole over there? Yeah, keep that on the far end of the table. Yeah. Let's let's yeah, let's keep it right here in front of me, my friend. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely going back into that bottle. That is delicious. That does taste good. Nicole? Wonderful. Thumbs up? Yeah. All right, beautiful. Get that logo. There we go. All right. So I know you guys go way back. Like way, way back. Again, it's just well, Bruce is a busy man. <laughs> I mean, always really, really busy. I mean, I guess my most recent uh <clears throat> meeting with Bruce was at the ATA show in Knoxville, Tennessee, which has one of the largest convention centers in America. Mm -hmm. It's right up there with like three other ones. And, you know, Bruce's name is all over there. And people come from all over the world to the ATA show. And I didn't know, Bruce, that they had another venue right next door, the auditorium. Mm -hmm. And Bruce put on his own gala yeah customer appreciation customer appreciation i saw the sign so i walked over there and here's this huge stage and you had this really hot rock and roll band performing do you remember their name mm-hmm. uh yeah it's uh from nashville is fish on fish on yeah great guys all bow hunters. you introduced me to them and i'm telling you well it was like the old saint paul auditorium maybe a little bigger than that and there was, I don't know how many people did you see? Close to probably 3,000. 3,000 people, and you fed them this enormous buffet, and then they had this rock and roll band. I was like, I got to tell you, Bruce, I was a little blown away. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I mean, the show itself is massive. And then to go next door where you're putting on this gala, I'm like, I didn't really realize you were that big of a big shot. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it, it was really uh, great to show appreciation to all the dealers yeah. uh, that maybe couldn't go out on the town because of their travel budgets and things like that. Would come to this event to show them a first-class uh, prizes, giveaways, uh, good food, good music, yeah. good cold beer, and uh, just show them appreciation for doing business with us. That was it. It was great. It was, it was amazing. Fun. So yeah. that's the last you time. Gotta, you have to do that. Yeah. You show appreciation like that. That's so important. Well, absolutely. but And I agree with that, but I was kind of blown away by the scale of it. It <laughs> sure. was such a huge deal. Yeah. And I was pretty impressed, Bruce. And, uh, you know, we go back and forth, and one of my favorite Bruce Adela stories, and I'm going to let you tell it, Bruce, because I'm not sure I exactly have it right, but when we, one of our previous shows, one of our earlier shows, we had a gentleman on by the name of, uh, Bill Robinson, Robinson Laboratories. Scent Shield. Bill is the guy that invented Scent Shield. And uh, what if we could tell stories about Bill all <laughs> oh, night yeah. long because he's just Mad the scientist. coolest, most fascinating, <laughs> fun-loving guy you'd ever meet in your and life. And a flirt, it sounds like. And a snappy dresser, too. <laughs> yeah. 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 So hopefully he's going to be watching this one. But tell the story of how you met Bill. And because before you do that, let me tell you how I first met him. Uh, me and Bill had a mutual friend, Bob McKay, who owned the Calhoun Beach Club. Um, 
I grew up with him, and Bill knew him for years and years, and he had the athletic club. Well, Bill was trying to market his product, Scentshield, to sports clubs, and they would spray it in their lockers and their dirty clothes or tennis mm-hmm. shoes, and it would eliminate their scent. That's how I first met Bill, and I, it never dawned on me, even though I was a hunter, that maybe this would be good for something else. So you tell the story of how that went. Yeah, Bill was from the uh, veterinary pet and uh, uh, equestrian type yep. industry as a chemist, biologist, whatever. And uh, I met Bill um, at the SHOT Show. And I was walking the show. I did every time I would get there, I'd walk all the aisles to look for new companies that just had a small booth and an interesting product and to see if I'd have an opportunity to represent them or give them advice. Or It's fun to meet new people. So I was, walk, I was walking the show, and here's a guy. I, if I recall, he had a blue blazer on with a pinky shirt and pinkish <laughs> pants if, and, and a white belt or something like that. Anyway, on, uh, he didn't have a booth or anything. On, on the table, there was a bottle with a white tail buck on it with kind of a lavender pinkish background to the logo. It was a nice-looking white tail buck. And Bill was standing behind there, and he jumped out in front of the table, and he said, let me tell you about my product. So I'm, I said, okay, I, what does it do? <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you, you take this liquid and you spray it on your clothing, or in anything it touches, it eliminates human scent. I was blown away. I, I, <laughs> you know, I and when you walk enough. these shows, everybody has a great new ID and a great new right. product and things like that. So I said, is it patented? He goes, no. Um, I said, is it tested? He says, yeah, yeah, let me show you. So he pulled out a little strip of cardboard, and he put took an eyedropper out of a little glass bottle. He put a drop on there, and he said, smell it. And I was like, whoa. Rotten eggs. It, it smelled like sweat socks smell. Yeah, you know, okay. that Jimmy... Yucky smell. Oh, everybody knows that smell. Yeah, everybody knows that one. So then he pulled up the spray and he went, and he smelled it. It was great. He goes, yep, yep. Then he held it in front of my nose, and I smelled it. I just smelled wet cardboard. The odor was gone. So at that point, your head explodes. And I'm like, wow. He And I said, do you have sales representation? He said, yeah, I already do. I already hired a guy. So I'm like, oh, great. Well, you know, have a great show, and uh, um, and we'll be in touch. And uh, so that night I'm in the bar, or the second night of the show was a four-day show, I believe. It was a World Series of Hunting, the SHOT Show. That's before the Archery Trade Show. And uh, I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of other reps and guys I worked with having a cocktail at the end of the day. Just kick your shoes off, let your hair down. And and we're sitting there. And at the bar behind me, I noticed a guy sitting there with his back to us with that bluish blazer on. And I said, (laughs) there cannot be more than one of those in at the show. So I, I stood up, I walked over, and I tapped him on the shoulder, and it was Bill, Bill Robinson. And his hair was all messed up, and his tie was undone, and he was kind of hunched over. And I go, well, how are you doing? He goes, terrible. I go, why? He goes, I never sold one bottle. I said, well, why don't you join us at our table? So he came and sat down with us, and I told all the other guys about his product, and they all said the same thing. If it really works, you're a millionaire. I mean, that's, it's revolutionary. It's going to revolutionize the industry. So long story short, had a good time with Bill, had several cocktails, and Bill's always entertaining. So Very. <laughs> uh, I gave him my phone number and things like that. And a few days after we got back from the show, he called me and he goes, hey, are you still interested in my, my product? I said, absolutely. So uh, I went down to Minneapolis to meet with him. He was down on Lake Street, yep. Hennepin Lake, not a good part of town. <laughs> and I went down there and I said, show me your operation. He goes, well, come down to the basement. And he had a big metal tub. 
and a, like a, I don't know, some kind of canoe paddle or some kind of big paddle, like a mixing <laughs> paddle, wooden thing. And he was dumping like all a witch's the, cauldron. And, and he was like, and he's, he was stirring it all up. He's making potions. <laughs> he was stirred up, and he dip in with a plastic measuring cup and pour it in a bottle. Those bottles with the mauve color on them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, where is everybody else? Oh, one gal comes in a few days a week to help me. So I'm like, uh, okay. So, um, so in your head, you're going, we need manufacturing. I'm saying, <laughs> we got a lot of work to do, you know? So anyway, long story short, um, he only had an eight ounce bottle at that point. So we came up with a four ounce bottle and I took it to, uh, see Don McGann. Don McGann, if anybody around the Minneapolis area remembers holiday, the holiday sure. gas stations, which yep. are all over the Midwest. At that time, they had four huge stores in the Minneapolis area. Uh, north, south, east, and west, and you could get groceries, you could get sporting goods, you could get all kinds of things in there. So anyway, uh, Don McGann was a very tough buyer, and every Sunday they would have a big insert in the Sunday paper, and back back in the 80s, everybody read the Sunday paper, right? Yep. <clears throat> so anyway, I showed Don this uh, four-ounce bottle, and uh, he said, what does it do? And I showed him the little test kit and stuff like that, and he was real skeptical. He says, well, I just had a spot open up on the Sunday flyer, so I'll put that four-ounce bottle in a little teeny pitcher in the corner in the hunting section, and we'll put it in there at four ninety-nine Robinson Scent Shields Scent Elimination Spray. Anyway, uh, he said, why don't you give me 48 bottles so we have some in stock? So it was four cases. So as soon as I got out of the meeting, I drove right over to Bill's, and I told him about it. And he goes, four cases. You got to know Bill. He's like, oh, boy, four <laughs> cases. Let's mix up a batch. So, and I'm like, okay. So he starts mixing everything up and we start putting bottles. We filled them up. I drove right back over to the holiday warehouse. So you're doing manufacturing yeah, with them. <laughs> with, with the purchase order. And anyway, that ad broke. P.O. in hand. And Dodd McGann called me personally. And I think he ordered 4,800 bottles. Oh, my Lord. So off of one ad on a Sunday paper and... So then so, I, I get this PO or I get the PO then yeah. um, emailed to me and I take it over to Bill. And I lived in central Minnesota at that time. I jump in my vehicle, I go down there and I show Bill. He goes, oh, wow, I've got to hire some people. And away it went. And next thing you know, um, he signed on Miles Keller, who's a well-known bow hunter from southern Minnesota. Had more Pope and Young Bucks than anybody yep. in, at that time. Those and, two were a team. You both had the white, white hair. Yeah. And dress nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then that started the whole journey. And, it, you know, we did deer classics all over the country. And every Cabela's, Bass Pro, Gander, Shields, everybody started selling the product. And from that original formulation, end up having over 30-some products, I believe, when it was all said to clothes wash, body wash, things like that. And yep, yep. Uh, just an amazing, it revolutionized the industry. And um, after about 10 or 15 years, there was over 30 companies making scent elimination right. products. So Bill was the father, um, innovator, of, uh, inventor of that whole category of product, which the scent elimination industry right now is a huge, huge. industry. And every hunter especially deals. for yeah. deer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially for deer. Yeah. Huge. Um, yeah, it's, and we don't want to go into it, but uh, there was a patent issue we uh, – had got some bad advice, I, I believe. That's what he told me, that the, his attorney said, well, I don't think you need to patent this. And right. He did need to patent it. Yes. And he yeah. never did. And then, But, you know, still it was a big success story for him. And, did oh, it make him a millionaire? I believe so. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, believe, I think he did well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from, uh, from Hennepin Lake, he ended up out in, uh, West Metro with some nice horses and a nice estate. And I but, remember he but had Bill a- always was a, a Wisconsin farm kid at heart, you know, just always a lot of fun. And to this day, he's still a great guy. Well, he went from a Wisconsin farm kid to a uh, Long Lake out by Minnetonka polo guy because mm-hmm. polo is big in his life. He has a horse farm out there. And the, uh, he does a big polo party out there at the polo range out by Long Lake. And uh, let's go back to Miles Keller. You were telling us a fascinating story. But before we get to that, can okay. I just pull you back a little further? Yep. Because I'm real curious if we could start back to where you guys met and then work our way forward from there. I think it was a rainy night, wasn't it? I can't remember. A rainy night in Georgia. <laughs> Snowy night in Eddie Minnesota. Rabbit, rainy night? <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I'm not exactly sure where I met Bruce. I know we go a ways back, but there's I can remember several instances where paths across. One of the, well, it's not the first time we met, but he wanted to buy a piece of property that I wound up buying up in Pillager, Minnesota. It was 85 acres that butt right into the northwest corner of Camp Ripley. And we had a mutual friend. Well, he was a friend of Mm-hmm. of Bruce's, but I got to know him at the Ram Banquet. That's probably where we met. And yeah. Johnny Boatner was his name. He had American Bowhunter magazine. It was called, I think, three different magazines. International Bowhunter. Great Hunter. Lakes Bowhunter. Yeah, Great when, Lakes Bowhunter. When it started, uh, right. He manufactured, excuse me, he edited and uh, published that magazine right out of the home in Pillager there. So I'm emceeing that banquet. Johnny Boatner, great big guy from Arkansas. Hey, Tomcat, you got to buy this piece of property that I got. And I'm like, really? I do? And I'm thinking, well, my wife and I are looking for a piece of property. But the week prior to that, we drove through Pillager, Minnesota, on our way to Leech Lake. And my wife said to me, man, I hope you never move me to a ho-dunk little town like this. <laughs> and it wasn't weeks later I said, honey, I'm thinking we're going to move to Pillager. <laughs> and her head almost exploded. And it was just such a coincidence. Not that there's anything wrong with Pillager, but... Was there a moment there where you're thinking you're going to be single? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, anyway, we yeah. did it, and we just... It was such a great move. I mean, our driveway was almost a mile long. It was a beautiful cedar, cedar-sided home, and it was all on one level. And you're right in the middle of Camp Ripley. Well, not in the middle of Camp Three sides. Of three of sides of over 50,000 acres of prime whitetail refuge. Yeah, and it was like... It's amazing. amazing. Yeah. I'd walk out my door and kill grouse, pheasant, bear, lots of deer. And uh, we lived there for 11 years, and it was a coincidence that, mm-hmm. I guess, through the archery shops, uh, the compound doctor, with Ron Carlson, and Boana's mm-hmm. with John... Uh, John... Sharon Larson, yeah. John Larson. Uh, our paths kept cross- crossing, mm-hmm. and... I just found out today that all these years I was doing the Wee Fest, he lived in Purim. And Purim was the home of Barrel of Fun, potato chips, and uh, Kenny's Candy. Kenny Nelson owned it. Great, great guy. One of our original, the original sponsor at the and Wee Purim's Fest. Purim's like you drive right through it to get to Wee Fest. And yeah, Tuffy's dog. All these years. Tuffy Nelson, Kenny's dad. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all these years, he was right down the road, and I didn't even know that. But he lived on a farm just west of Pillager, and he was. His wife told 
His wife told him the same thing my wife told me when I almost opened <laughs> that second steakhouse. How do you think your next wife's going to like living out in the boondocks? <laughs> but uh, so that's how we, uh, and then we'd see each other's at like Deer Classics. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had so many mutual friends and it just kills me that he and I, who just have this great passion for hunting, have never ever hunted together. And we've known each other since, well, the 80s. Yeah, I would say so. Late 80s yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a. Uh, well, there's that guy that worked for, uh, I'm drawing a blank again, but you know his name, uh, that worked for uh, Bill uh, when he was down in Cannon Falls. Oh. Actually, remember he had that big warehouse in St. Paul? Yeah. Big old Down brick. below the bridge there? Yeah. yeah down that thing ain't even there, and he was whipping his witch's brew out of that <laughs> yeah. place. That was it. Do you remember yeah. that kid's name? Uh, Scott Schultz? No, not Scott Keith Schultz. Edberg? Keith Edberg. Yeah, but Keith there was a younger guy before Keith Edberg. That was working for him, and he's just a great guy. Jeff Purdy? Yes, I yeah. think that is it. Yeah. And uh, Amazing. Look at you with your recall. Still got some. God. I like it. Well, God bless you. You're five years younger <laughs> than me, and you've got more recall. It's because you were busy so much, and I wasn't for the last. Yeah, you know, being in the going from being a hunter to watching outdoor tv and kurt gowdy the american sportsman yep. i remember being a young boy we got we watched walt disney every sunday night and then american sportsman with kurt gowdy i can't remember if that was a sunday show i believe I it was were. and i watched uh kurt gowdy had fred bear on the show tell and us fred, that story bruce yeah and well, for, real quick though bruce yeah. for those people because we do um uh, we like to remember that some of our listening audience maybe are not as um, old as we are, <laughs> um, maybe not hunters. So when we drop some of these names, like to sure. give a little background. Yeah. And so those people that don't know, Fred Bear is basically the godfather of archery. Yeah, Fred Bear is the person that brought you know archery to a relevant, accepted industry. Right. Yeah. And and you know Papa Bear, Fred Bear. And, you know it's amazing how many people I still meet today. Even if they're a youngster in their 20s or 30s, I'll say, yeah, I, I knew Fred Bear. They go, my dad had or my grandpa had a, a, a bear bow. Sure. You yeah, know, still even, making bows today. Yeah, and even people that are non-hunters you know, recognize Fred Bear because he puts so much in the industry as far as uh, uh, shooting archery. And, you know, Fred would do, um, when he started his company, was in Grayling, Michigan, he would go to trade shows all over the country. I don't care if it was a county fair, whatever. And he would blow up balloons and teach kids how to shoot. And he wanted these big old monster balloons at like 10 feet. He wanted them to be successful and develop a passion for archery. So Fred's history, you know, uh, what he invested, he brought it into into TV. He was a left-handed shot traditional equipment, which he manufactured. And he just was so renowned as a conservationist and also just a builder of the hunting outdoor lifestyle. If you go online, you can read a lot of his quotes that are amazing even today about, you know, ways of uh, conducting your life and ethics and that that go far beyond hunting and archery. So uh, it it was very, uh, from watching him with Kurt Gowdy on TV when I was a youngster to when I got in in, in the industry, in the in the late 80s to walk into the uh, shot show and there stands Fred Bear <laughs> with the world record grizzly bear that he'd shot with a bear recurve bow. There it is. Yeah. There it is. And uh, yeah, nice haircut. Then my Jim Carrey, you know, pixie cut there. But uh, but that was and that. That's you, Wait, huh? yeah, that's me, man. Yeah. Wow. You're kidding. A lot more hair. But, I thought that uh, was one of the Beatles. <laughs> 
well, it could have been, you know. Where's my rim shot? But, but you know, here a guy walks into the shot show, which is the World Series of Hunting, and I'm from Clarissa, Minnesota, town of, at that time, was like 600 people. And I tell everybody I was fortunate to finish in the top 30 of my high school graduating class because we had 28 students. But <laughs> um, anyway, I got to meet Fred. and That's a great photo. Yeah, and then uh, eventually. A huge bear. <laughs> yeah, and then, then eventually I was working for some other archery companies, and I got a phone call from uh, Gainesville, Florida. I didn't recognize the number. It, it was Bill Krenz calling me wanting me to come to Gainesville, Florida to interview to be the Bear Archery rep. Wow. So it was like my wildest dream. I was in Grand Rapids, Minnesota at L&M Supply Store doing a store check, jumped in my vehicle, and I think it cost me $2,100 on different flights and standby flights to get to Gainesville, Florida, which is in the middle of nowhere, northern Florida, Right. and, and walk into interview, and they went, uh, Fred had passed, but uh, they let me go sit in his sealed office just the way it was his last day at work. And all of his Borsalino hat, which is a hat he always wore, was his trademark. And and sit at his desk and see all of his sketchings and photos and, and things like that. And when they offered me the job, it was like, yeah, it was like coming home. And I was fortunate to represent Bear Arch for 27 years. That's amazing. Bill, t- yeah. I'm sorry, but Bruce, tell him the story about how when you first met Fred Bear, and then the following year. Yeah, um, I walked in the shot show. You can see from the photo, I didn't own a tie or a suit jacket. Uh, just a dairy farm kid that was chasing his passion. I was lucky to have a guy give me a chance, and he said, I'll take you to the shot show and, and show you what it's all about. So I walked in the door the first day, and I'm so out of my element, and I see that grizzly, and I see Fred Bear standing next to it. He had his blazer jacket on his bola that he always wore kind of a turquoise bola with a little broadhead in it and i just walked over to him and he sees me standing there and he goes hi he walk, comes over shakes my hand and who are you and i told him what are you doing i said why well, I'm, I'm a sales rep this is my first exposure to it i just started today and he goes well where are you from and do you hunt and blah 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 your family and everything so it was great so i just walked away starstruck well, right. Yeah. So the next year. Biggest I wa- name in archery right there. Next year, I walk into the shot show and I'm walking down the aisle. There's booths everywhere, just a mass of people. And I hear, Bruce, Bruce. And I look and there's Fred Bear waving me to come talk to him. <laughs> and he goes, Hey, I remember you, uh, young man. He goes, How's the rep business doing? Did you do pretty good? How'd you do hunting? And that is amazing. It, it just, his, his magic with people, everybody that's known Fred Bear was amazing. And, and I got to tell a quick story is uh, one of Fred's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he had a picture of Ted Nugent in his office. Um, and it was signed by, it was a picture of Santa Claus that had been impacted by an arrow and a soap with a reindeer all around. It was a joke from Ted to Fred. So <laughs> That's he, Ted Nugent right there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, that looks like Ted Nugent. Yeah, and you know, and, and Ted is a rock and roller. He's still relevant today in the industry. And Huge he, archery hunter. He's, he, he recorded the song in honor of Fred when Fred passed yep. away, the Fred Bear song. Yep. Uh, it, still gives me, it still gives me chills when I hear it. Um, but yeah, so I, I was. It, it was really a good run there, and uh, a, a lot of fun to represent bear archery. And I, and as long as I'm breathing, I will have a tremendous respect and passion for the bear archery oh. name and the brand. And anyway, I was going to tell you a quick story about the first salesman Fred ever hired. Uh, Fred would go to these uh, sporting events, and he'd have a booth all by himself. He'd have a bunch of bows, and he'd 
get kids in there to pop balloons. Well, he got so busy, he couldn't blow up enough balloons. So <laughs> there was a family uh, down that had a shooting gallery, plinking gallery. So he told one of their uh, young people that worked here, if you're not busy, come and help me. I'll pay you so much for every balloon you blow up. And that was Frank Scott. So he would blow up these balloons and did a lot of similar shows. So uh, what's interesting about it, when it came time for Fred to hire a salesman, he remembered this young man and he hired Frank Scott to be his first ever Bear Archery factory sales rep. Wow. So, uh, so the first week, uh, Frank Scott went out on the road with all his bear samples, and he never sold one bow. And the road that he took out of Grayling, Michigan, to get back into town, he had to come right past Bear Archery. And while Fred's truck was parked, there was a Friday late afternoon, and he said, well, I can't drive by. If Fred sees me, he's going to ask me why, and I don't want to tell him I didn't sell one bow. So I'm going to stop in. So he stopped in. He <laughs> went into Fred's office, and Fred said, well, Scotty, how'd it go this week? He said, well, Fred, I never sold one bow all week. Oh, okay, Fred said. Well, what happened? He said, I showed people the bows and they didn't want to buy. I, I don't know what the deal was. He said, well, I tell you what, Scotty, it's like taking, making a, taking a horse to water to make him drink. Your job as a sales rep is to make them thirsty so they want to drink or want to buy. Mm -hmm. And I always remembered that in my sales career, and I tried to pass that on to other people, that Fred actually had a, a sign in Bear Archery, a huge banner that said Bear Archery Ten Commandments about the, how important the customer was, number one, in every phase of customer service, product development, gratitude, employees, and appreciation. It, he just was an amazing man, but... Uh, what amazing amazing journey it was to watch what he accomplished in the company that he built and how it impacted the archery. You know, he just wasn't a famous man in the world of archery. Oh. He was an American legend. Patents. Yeah. He has more patents. If you go to the Pope and Young Hall of Fame and Pope and Young, uh, you won't believe the number of patents that he has awarded. And, and the thing that about Fred is he wanted archery to grow, so he never charged a royalty to another manufacturer. He let them use his patents for free. Nice. Wow. To grow archery. I know a couple other Amazing. people that have met Fred Bear and have pictures of themselves. John Larson was one. Ron Carlson. For those of you that don't know, Buana Archery and the Compound Doctor are kind of synonymous in the Twin Cities. And they all could sit and talk for hours. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. He just, he, he touched there he you. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's the Ten Commandments. There's the Ten Commandments. Yeah. What a wise, wise man. Do you want me to read them? Yeah, yeah let's do that. Too. All right. Don't step on anything you can't step over. Don't look for deer. Look for movement. And remember, it's what they're looking for, too. That's good. Always approach from downwind. In, in the cool of the day, move uphill. In the heat of the day, move downhill. The best camouflage pattern is called sit down and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? Uh your grandpa hunted deer and a red plaid coat. Think about that for a yep. second. Take only the gear to the field that allows you to hunt longer, harder, smarter. A rainstorm isn't a reason to quit the hunt. It's a reason to stay. Camouflage your appearance, your sound, and your scent. Be sure of your shot. Nothing is more expensive than regret. Hunt where the deer actually are, not where you imagine them to be. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Next year's hunt begins the minute this season's hunt ends. 
Yeah, beautiful. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to go back here real quick, Bruce, because we've mentioned the term Pope and Young a couple times now mm-hmm. in the episode. Yeah. Can you just tell the the viewers and listeners what Pope and Young is? Uh, well, Pope and Young was a, a club started uh, back in the day by Art Pope Saxon Young uh, to register big game measurements, like a minimum inches of deer a bear or any big game species uh, to make the record book, to acknowledge the best of the best. Yes. And uh, they started that. And uh, it's for every North American uh, big game species. And there's a minimum requirement, like a white tail is 125 inches of antler. Uh, Bear is 18 inches of skull size, length and width combined. And so those standards are established as a minimum, and then they keep the world record in each one of those categories. So um, it's kind of a, a very interesting goal setting uh, for people that want to achieve for uh, the topic's uh, success as far as their big game hunting. So it's, yeah. it's real interesting to, to have a measurement put to it. So if you harvest an animal that qualifies, it goes through a drying process, and then it's scored by an official measure, and then it can be entered into the Pope and Young record book for eternity. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And they have the sister organization, which is Boone and Crockett Correct. for firearms. Correct. It's the same principle, a little bit different scoring. Um, and those two guys, Pope and Young, they were from California of all places. Yes. Yep. Yep. Northern California. And what is I that? didn't think they did anything in California other than make wine and surf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, California used to be a... And still is a big hunting destination. Yes. For tool elk and black-tailed yep. deer. and Wild hog. Yeah, wild there's, a, there's a lot of hunting in, in the West. Yeah. Just not, west. just not the same kind of hunting we're used to down around the L.A. area. Here's so the, the Pope and Young website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was trying to figure out how Pope and Young was spelled, I, I, I butchered it first. So I'm glad you guys <laughs> kept saying it. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, Bruce. Uh, a lot of our viewers... Our country, you know, the show is called Boots and Backstraps, as in cowboy boots and backstraps, as in a lot of people aren't familiar with that phrase, uh, that term. Backstraps is the prime rib off of an animal that you harvest. Ribeye, prime rib, mm-hmm. backstraps, they're all the same. So, um, Yeah, if you like music, you know, it'd be fun if they could pull up. Uh, Ted Nugent does a fireside song at the Mossy Oak Camp. Where he just pulls up his guitar acoustically with a big roaring fire in front of him, and he does the Fred Bear song. And of all, oh, the we've rend- got we've got a very talented producer. And, in and, there. and of all the renditions I've seen of that, uh, that's the very best one of 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 uh, of the Fred Bear song at the Masion Cap. But I, I'll tell you quickly, uh, Fred Bear uh, was honored by the uh, Archery Trade Association, the ATA show years ago, and Ted Nugent was the guest performer. <laughs> and there's probably 1,500, 2,000 people in the room. And uh, so Ted comes up on stage, sits down with his guitar on a stool, and nobody knew it, but in the middle of the stage was pyrotechnic gas or whatever, and and he stomped his foot, and he said, come on, Fred, and poof, that flame came up about three feet in the air of a campfire, and he did an acoustic version of the Fred Bear song, and you could have heard, a pin drop in that whole auditorium. It was just like magical. And, uh, uh, you know, the words of the song uh, really get you going if you're, if you're a hunter and an yeah. outdoorsman. Yeah, I've heard it. I couldn't. Here it is. That you usually don't need diesel to start a fire with. Maybe we can turn that up a tad. 
There I was, back in the wild again And I felt right at home, where I belong I had that feeling, coming over me again Just like it happened, so many times before So many times The spirit of the woods, he's like an old good friend Makes me feel warm and good inside And I know his name, it's good to see him again Cause in the wind, he's still alive Talking about Fred Ben, walk with me down the trails again Takes me back, takes me back where I belong Fred, Fred Bear I'm glad to have you at my side, my friend And I will join you on the big hunt before too long Before too long Alright, that was some pretty fancy Did you hear the harmonics? Ted can bing, pick bing, it bing. He can pick it Yes, oh, he man. can Incredibly talented guitar player. Yeah. Musician in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We can tell some uh, Ted Nugent stories. Uncle Ted. If you ever listen to Ted uh, debate some of the anti-hunters oh. or politically, very entertaining. <laughs> yes, he is. All right. All right. <laughs> He's a go for the juggler guy. I have to tell you one. All right. He go. was in France, <laughs> and you can pull it up on the internet. Um, he was being interviewed by a lady in France, and they oh, had a yeah. previous agreement that she would not start beating him up about animals and killing animals. And they were talking politics. They were talking this and that. She just couldn't help herself. She finally had to blurt it out. She says, well, how do you think those deer feel right before you kill them? And he goes, well, first of all, deer don't have any feelings. They have uh, reflexes. And uh, their only concern is three things. They're (laughs) what they're going to eat next, who they're going to screw next, and how fast they can run from danger. Come to think of it, they're a lot like the French. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately after that statement, it went dead. Oh. They pulled the they pulled the plug. <laughs> that is hilarious. And, you know, he did that just oh. right off the top of his head. He didn't have that all figured out. You know, you got to see if you can find that. I would love to see that. It, That'd be hilarious. Any, well, any I'm of, sure Danny any can find debates, it. Yeah. Find it on your phone. Yeah. I, and I maybe not quoted, but that's the gist of it. It's what they're <laughs> going to eat next, who they're going to screw next, and how fast they can run from danger, alluding to World War II, how the United States. Oh, uh, it's it's a running joke, right? Yeah. I mean, no offense to any of our particular fans or listeners that have French heritage, but it just is what it is. <laughs> hey, I'm Polak. Bruce, you're Polak. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> right? oh, you know what? Uh, if you want to. That was a pretty interesting show. We have so many. We could be here all night long. <laughs> um, but that was a pretty interesting short story. That magazine, why don't you pick that up, Shane, Yep. and uh, show it to the camera. The guy that owned this magazine was uh, Johnny Boatner, and I had bought my home from him. He published this magazine out of his home. But on the back side of it, there's a 
picture of, uh, yeah, that was the overhead shot of the uh, land. And anyway, on the back side, there's a picture of Miles Keller, and Bruce was telling us a fun story about Miles Keller. Miles is getting a few miles out of our podcast. We've talked about him a few times. He's got a, a huge white tail on the back there. Miles Keller is from uh, southern Minnesota and killed a lot of deer, but he didn't like the publicity too much. Well, he had the Wisconsin state record um, archery typical. Yep. It was an eight-pointer that grossed over 175 yeah. inches, which an amazing white-tailed deer. But but Miles uh, uh, really was racking up trophy whitetails before anybody else was really mm-hmm. public with it or um, – or, or you know, was out in the public promoting, right. you know, trophy hunting. Right. And typical meaning the same amount of points on both sides. Yeah, without any abnormal points, that would be right, non-typical. Right. But, yeah, for an eight-pointer to have that type of size. And the story behind that is a show itself about, you know, traveling with Miles all those years doing seminars and promotions. I got to spend a lot of cocktail time in the evenings, you know, decompressing and, and hearing all the stories. It's it's amazing the stories that he has, especially if you have him on, he's got to tell that story. So I won't uh, share it right Steal now. But, but it's, <laughs> if you're married and around the holiday season, it's one of the best stories you'll you'll ever hear. And the net of the whole thing is Miles killed the Wisconsin state record, uh, eight, you know, typical deer uh-huh. uh, right prior to full St. Nick time. So wow. a fascinating story. Quite the Christmas present. Well, it, that's a good thing that you mentioned that, Shane, because that's part of the story on his <laughs> what happened on his way home uh, to make it home in time for Christmas Eve. So Okay, great. So he had a very understanding wife. Yes. Did he have a My Wife Loves Me t-shirt or I Love My Probably Wife t-shirt? Probably not. Probably not. No, <laughs> he needed probably one. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Miles is a, a wonderful human meeting, a fantastic uh, conservationist and hunter and and just a great guy. So I I will tell you both that the people that I've enjoyed the most in meeting in the industry are those people that understand both sides of the coin because you certainly have a lot of passion for hunting and the the harvesting and the meat and like all that part of it. But then as you mentioned, the conservation is so critical too in maintaining habitat and understanding populations and, and respecting the ethics of hunting is such a well, here we go. Here's you speaking of conservation. Yeah, that, that's a that's a labor of love there uh, on my uh, property uh, in Minnesota. Here, I wanted to establish an a- uh, apple orchard, so um, that's real heavy sandy soil. So I brought in those seedlings, planted them, and I think that summer I hauled close to five thousand gallons of water to that apple orchard to ensure that they could get the root uh, system. Uh, extended in that they survive the, the the first year until they have roots like that because you basically cut off 60% of the tree roots to transplant them. You wrap the remaining roots in burlap and you drop them in. And if you don't keep them watered, they don't sprout and grow. So right. it's how all you, about giving back. You know, how'd you get that water habitat. out there? <laughs> you know what? I, I Fire bought, trucks? No, I went to tractor supply and I bought a, a 250-gallon water tank mm-hmm. and put it on my trailer and I'd fill it full and pull it around the other side of my farm. And uh, luckily I had road access there and I had a little uh, plug into my cigarette lighter pump and a put, a put a hose to both ends out of the tank and to a garden hose and I would water each one of those trees. Nice. How many so, trees was it? Do you remember? 28. Okay. 28. Yeah, so it'd take me about... 
I think I had it timed down. I watered one each a few minutes. So um, I would spend close to an hour there, you know, every other day, depending on the temperature. And I had 100% survival. So Wow, congratulations. And then a couple of years later, I sit there. Now it's been six, seven already, I think. I sit in a tree stand and I watch the deer come in and feed on the apples and the amount of activity with the wildlife and things like that. So, yeah, okay. it's it's just all part of... It's gets, it gets to be as you progress as a hunter, you go through the, the yeah. different stage first. You know, like a fisherman, you want to go fishing, and then you want to catch a fish, then you want to catch a lot of fish, and then you want to catch your limit of big fish, and then you get to the point where you want to take somebody else fishing and watch them experience yep. the same thing. And And I think hunting is all about giving back and sharing. It's such an amazing experience, but there's a lot of people out there in today's society with a lot of single-parent families and things like that. There's no one to take somebody to show them to teach. Mm -hmm. And I think as hunters, um, we all need to take time, take a deep breath, and take somebody and introduce them to the sport we love. Right. You know? Boy, you just hit on a hot topic. Tomorrow evening, Shane and I are meeting with, again with uh, Thurman Tucker, who is uh, president of the Quail Forever chapters here in Minnesota. Thurman's a great man. And we are developing an organization. I had a long talk with Ron Shera yesterday about what we're doing, and he may send someone over to sit in with us. And you would certainly be welcome to come. Yeah. What this is called is Youth Outdoors, mm -hmm. and it's all about getting kids off of their games, off of their phones, getting them outside. There's so many of us hunters, young and old, that think it's a travesty that there's so many youth inner city and even the kids out in the country that don't get outside because nobody's introducing them to it. Yeah. And, and access is a huge problem, uh, a huge problem. So if you own property or have access to property, you know, share, yeah. um, you get know, the kids I, out there. yeah, I, I think, you know, you need to get the kids out there or even, you know, single moms and, and teenagers and whatever, if, if you, if you know somebody that doesn't have access, you know, give something back, take somebody out, make it a goal every year to take someone fishing or bow fishing or turkey hunting, call for them or deer hunting and, and give back. It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And and you give that gift to somebody yep. else that can keep giving that on. One of our good friends is doing just that. And he's got a very, very successful organization. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Fishing for life. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Tom. Tom's going to meet us tomorrow. Tom Glines? No, not Tom Glines. He's a turkey guy, and Tom Glines is uh, not a generous guy. He's kind of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> and I only said that because I love Tom. Tom's a good man. And he wouldn't expect me to say anything else. <laughs> we banter quite a bit back and forth. I love Tom, and I'm sure if he's watching this, he's laughing his butt off right now. Oh, yeah. But, no, Tom's great. But, no, I'm talking about Tom there I go again. It's that memory thing. Is he on the board up there? Uh, I think he is. But uh, no, no Tom's. Anyway, Tom has fishing for life. He's going to join us tomorrow night. He does like twelve events with kids every year. He takes them fishing, takes them turkey hunting, takes them just does all these really neat ice fishing, neat events, and he gets lots and lots of kids. He's been doing it. I don't know. He's been doing it for a good fifteen years now. Mm -hmm. So we might just join his organization or run under the flagship of uh, Quail Forever. But you know what? I would say to our listening, our viewing audience, if anyone wants to get involved with that, and maybe if you have any good ideas or you got some land or 
I was talking to the DNR, the hunter safety people at the game fair yesterday, and um, they all seemed real interested, Ron Shera. And, you know, it's not like it hasn't been done before. All of the nonprofits, Bruce, have some form of, uh, like, the Jakes, Turkey mm-hmm. Federation, mm-hmm. you know, and all of them have it. But I'm wondering how successful they are at getting actually getting kids outside. I mean, I don't know if we're trying to reinvent the Boy Scouts or... Uh, well, you know, archery in the school uh, have been very popular oh, in the state of Minnesota. Trap, trap shooting, uh, high school trap shooting right now is one of the fastest growing high school sports in the state of Minnesota. You know, Ron Shares is a Minnesota icon superstar. Yeah. Hall of Famer for sure. I mean, he's... Just ask him, he'll tell you. That. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he and his daughter, uh, Laura, do a great job. But, um, you know, you look at that trap shooting, I mean, that has been so successful. That has been hugely successful. Yeah, the state trap shoot, I guess, was amazing. Um, uh, the amount of kids that were there, I can't remember the number, but it blew me away how many showed up. One of my uh, young friends in Iowa, his daughter, uh, took third in the state of Iowa, and she's about this tall, mm-hmm. you know, like four feet at the max, just a teeny little girl. And she's just, I went to watch, I went to watch her once. She's knocking them down. Crack shot. Oh, she's hitting 25s all the time now. And when I saw her last year, she was, you know, hitting, hitting 22s, 23s. And, but her form was just excellent. And you're, I mean, I don't want to drift away from what we're talking about between archery and the trap shooting. That's the best thing in the world that's happened to these high schools, but there's still, a lot of inner city and outer city uh, schools that won't accept it because there's guns involved, even though it's been proven historically how safe it is. And there's all these people there watching, and it's just another tool. And we all know the thing, but there's still some cities that won't won't do it. Yeah. Well, I think change starts with you yourself. Yeah. And um, I think we all owe it to the sport we love to give back yep. any way that we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's very important for the future of our sport. Okay, oh, agreed. Yeah. Well, so so Bruce, let's go back to how you got from being passionate about the outdoors and hunting and wildlife in general, and how you make it a career. How did you get into the we call it industry? Well, um, I, I kind of uh, I wanted to be a wildlife biologist okay. um, coming out of high school. I want to be a professional athlete, but. Uh, I Who didn't doesn't? have those skills, but uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, I got accepted the University of Minnesota Crookston. I wanted to go all the way through and, and get a master's degree in biology. I don't know if I would have made it because I get distracted easily. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> long both. story short, I had a chance to um, go to Brainerd to the technical college. Had a program called recreational equipment sales, sporting goods, hmm. and also um, one of my buddies um, was playing on the basketball team. It was kind of like a junior college. Uh, team and I said I love basketball and so I went and checked it out and he said hey if you want to come here we got an opening in the class there's 30 kids everybody's guaranteed a job in the sporting goods industry and you can play basketball so I played on uh, the the uh, team that year we won the state Minnesota uh, vocational school technical college championship was fun and cool, then very cool I put in my time in class I got an internship at a sporting goods store in Long Prairie Minnesota Gary Schrader Sports they sold athletic equipment had a little teeny gun in our uh, gun shop at that time so I was always up in the gun shop part of it uh, talking to uh, the owner's dad and I said why don't we get archery in here he goes I don't know anything about it I said well I do so um, <laughs> long story short I started working up in the gun shop brought archery in 
let's uh, move forward. We opened a downtown location because the archery and sporting goods grew. He offered me an opportunity to buy the store, which I did. Um, it grew from there. Um, I was in my early 20s, and uh, uh, I kept having these reps coming in all the time to call on me, you know, and they were telling me about their lifestyle. They go to store to store to store, and they had time off to hunt and fish, and I'm like, God, I'm working in this store six, seven days a week. Uh, there's got to be a better way. Well, I had a chance to move out of that, and, and I did. And I started another little archery shop up uh, so many miles away because of the, the limitations. And I had a guy come in my store one day trying to show me an Oneida Eagle compound bow. And if anybody ever remembers Oneida Eagle, it was yeah. a block and tackle type, yeah. patented type. And, and, and I thought it was a pretty cool bow. I, I fooled around with it. I shot it. I liked it. And so I ordered six of them. And within the next few months, I sold over 30. And the guy called me up. He goes, why don't you become a sales rep? And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> What do I do? He says, well, I give you a bunch of samples, some catalogs. You get in your car and you call on all these shops. Here's a list of places. But at that time, you still own the store? Yeah, yeah. So okay. it, it, so it was staff a, to cover the store. My mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she worked real. She worked at a reasonable price. So yeah, and, and plus the archery shop was connected to her her house. So okay. So anyway, I had a live in, you know, uh, manager. Store manager. Right yeah, yeah. So anyway, so, and she also bakes cookies. <laughs> yeah, and, and and yeah, and the nice thing about it is, you went on the road to sell archery equipment in January, February, March, April. Slowest time to be an archery hunting shop. So I went on the road and I absolutely loved it. Um, I apparently did a good job, and uh, I got a promotion and uh, I, I shut down my archery shop, sold it, and went into repping full-time. Uh, my employer at that time made me a partner. And uh, after a few years, he came to me and said, I've been working John Cramber, based in Minneapolis. I've been doing this long enough. I want out. Buy me out. So I borrowed $2,500 from a couple of my brothers, so I had $5,000, and I bought the business out. I got all the desks and file cabinets and loaded them in my truck and moved them into my spare bedroom back home, and I started the company myself and uh, split over 150 nights in a motel room the first couple of years. And this is Oneida Eagle? I worked for Oneida Eagle then, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then um, XI came out, you know, the company we were talking about here right, right. Uh, with Miles Keller, and that was a great journey. And then hold this up again here. Yeah, Danny. yeah. So we developed the XI, which stands XI. for Experimental Indian Bows. And uh, from there, um, look at those little cams. I got an opportunity to go to work for Bear Archery, which Aren't was my uh, ultimate dream. So I jumped at the chance to go to work for Bear, and that was a 27 year run. So. It was good. I lost my train of thought. I was going to interject something there. And uh... so, how did you? How did they pull you from Bear? Because I mean, when you're working for yourself, you got you got your well, everything's. You know, they, I was always an independent contractor. And... So Bear hired me as an independent contractor to okay. represent them. So you didn't so have to I, stop doing your other business. I, I still had Hudala Associates Inc., which was a subchapter S corporation. That I was my own boss, but they contracted with me on a commission basis to sell their product in a specific territory. And one of my goals was to represent bear archery in the whole United States and Alaska and Hawaii. And we accomplished that. Okay. So Fantastic. from a, a company of uh, just by myself that we peaked out at over 30 employees and we had reps in every geographical region in the whole United States. So it got to be uh, exceeded all my goals of business. It was check, 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 check. And in 2019, it was time to uh, move on and pursue other interests. So, well, so we the, have a mutual friend. I'm sorry that shoots uh, an Oneida, Dave Miller, who we had on as a guest. I grew up hunting with Dave, yeah. bear hunting and deer hunting, and we had him in the grass, and he shot that Oneida eagle 
for years, and they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, who's the famous archer on television? Well, Oneida Eagle, uh, Tom Wells, or Tim Wells. Tim Wells, uh, You know, yep. right now, Oneida Eagle is purchased by Bass Pro years okay. ago, and now it's the premier bow fishing bow. That yeah. technology is fantastic for bow fishing, and right. right now they are the Cadillac of bow fishing bows. So it's owned by Bass Pro Shops. Well, he's uh, he's a heck of a representation of that bow. He, and an it, awesome guy. Tim, Tim yeah, Wells, the first time I saw the, the footage of him shooting a morning dove out of the air in full flight with a bow and arrow. You know, he, there's footage of him shooting ducks out of the air. Oh, Morn, a morning dove is an amazing it's target if you've ever hunted doves. They're real shifty flyers, and yeah. he's shooting them out of the air with a bow and arrow. He Shooting he, them out of the air with a shotgun with, is hard. All without a sight. <laughs> he's an instinctive shooter. Yeah. Um, amazing, amazing, you, talented you, guy. If you ever want to watch, what's his show called? Uh, Tim Wells. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I've got a photo here on my phone of Tim and I and my um, then 10-year-old, but now he's 12, and he's he's holding my... Uh, He's holding Michael up in the air yeah. and like pretending like he's attacking him, basically. And we're all laughing in the photo. Send it to me. I, I don't ship, ship it to you. Facebook it to me. Ship it to you. Ship, ship it to me. I'll do there that. There you go. Yeah, it's it's a great picture. Well, he's so much fun. I co-hosted that bow fest with him a couple of years, and <laughs> and I always thought that I had a little bit of humor whenever I hosted. Relentless pursuits. Relentless pursuits is exactly. his TV show. But yeah. he interjected tremendous humor. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he just he loves bow hunting and loves the outdoors, and his whole family's involved. Yeah. You know, wife, kids, everybody. Family. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you in the photo that was up earlier, where you were with Fred and his uh, record Grizzly. Mm-hmm. That must have been your first. You're saying you had just started that day as a rep. So that must day. have been the sporting goods ah. place. Yeah, that was the shot show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's cool. All that kind of comes together that way. Well, your life is more than fascinating i i see all the hard work that you put into it i mean nothing was handed to you you put in the hours put in the time it's a good thing you had a college degree i think uh and certainly the what is your degree in recreational equipment sales okay so you did you did you did go there <laughs> that's not a four-year degree believe me but well, i but did. i did complete that one and did, and did play basketball and and it and I did get a job in the sporting goods industry like they guaranteed me I would. So, And you certainly got a, a lot of knowledge in biology, I assume. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is reading and research. There's so much information. Yeah. Anything that you want to know about food plots or animal husbandry or genetics or anything about the outdoors, there's so much information out there right now. It's an amazing, yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah, we are certainly living in the information age. I think maybe we're going to let some sponsors uh, do some talking. Uh, pretty quick here, yeah. Um, I want to just have Danny grab this photo. I guess I don't – do you need to do this after the break, Danny, or can how, you get it in? How did you ship it to me? Uh, do your text. <laughs> Listen, I don't feel like your shipping is as good as Tom's. You want it in email? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm like, I can't airdrop. I don't have Apple. I don't have a fruit phone. Come on. Come on now. Come on now. Get on the fruit truck. I should have said it to Tom, then he could ship it to you efficiently. That's that's what should have happened. Yeah, Bruce, I didn't get it. They're giving me a, we can, a um, lot of grief because I'm considerably older than them. Oh. And I said, well, just ship it over to me. And they're like, <laughs> what? Let's ship come it? back on it, Shane. Okay, that sounds good. Are you technically challenged, Tom? Or? He, uh, yeah. yeah. That's the polite way of saying it. <laughs> in the 90s, you know, I used to set up sound systems and 
you know, in, in nightclubs all over the United States, Sound and Light, I was very technical back then. Because before everything went digital. <laughs> and now... Start mixing in computers and he he's lost. He can analog the it's shit like, out of uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. It's like picking up the uh, hood on a Mercedes bin and trying to figure out what's under it. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, right. A lot of my cars had eight cylinders or six cylinders and plug wires and an alternator. And wait, wait, wait. And it had a carburetor on it? <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So these days, yes, I'm a little technically challenged. But fortunately, I am married to a school teacher who is not technically challenged. No, she's pretty and gifted. She's uh, very gifted, and she's younger than I am, and she's smarter Good than I am. Good for you, sir. <laughs> Jeez. We both married younger. We both married up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I outpunted my coverage significantly. I don't think I've heard that phrase more than a couple thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's do it. Let's uh, take a breather. All right, y'all. You heard it. The man said we're going to take a break. So we'll uh, get the sponsors in here real quick. When we come back, we'll have Bruce back in studio to talk some more about hunting, share some hunting stories, and some of the famous people he's had interactions with. We'll be right back. Boots and Backstraps is proudly brought to you by Homes by Shane. Make your move with the Homes by Shane team. Commitment to community and unparalleled customer service are the foundation of this REMAX Results referral-based business. Their driven team of experts communicate with their clients every step of the way, ensuring a memorable experience from the first conversation through your closing day. Go to homesbyshane.com. Let's get you home. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Boots and Backstraps. I am still in studio here. With uh, Tom Cat and of course, uh, of course Bruce um, Hadala, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, joining us still. And uh, before we get back to the conversation, I just want to remind all those folks out there that are listening or watching to make sure that you like, subscribe, comment, and share this content with whatever platform that you're on, whether it's Facebook or Spotify, YouTube, um, any of the audio platforms available, including Audible. Make sure that you're sharing, liking, and uh, commenting on these posts. It helps the algorithm. It spreads the, the, the search force, gets our net a little bit wider, and gets more people listening and watching the uh, podcast. So, If you have any opinions on the podcast, ship it over to us. Ship it. Ship it on over. <laughs> so in the break, I think uh, Danny found that photo that we were talking about, Tim Wells, with my now 12-year-old. At that point, he was 10. Here's Michael and, uh, and I with Tim Wells. And we had gone over because Tom had, had introduced me to, to Tim a couple years before this when he was up at Bowfest. And uh, so I get the chance to talk to him. And then every year when I go up, I chat with him. And mm-hmm. Michael goes with me every year because he likes to shoot. And uh, so we ran into Tim. And I said, hey, Tim, how's it going? This is good. And then he saw Michael. And he was like, come here. And he <laughs> picked him up. And they kind of pretend like he was attacking him. And somebody had my phone. And I was going to ask him for a picture. But he clearly knew what was going on. So somebody snapped a candid did you, shot uh, here. Up there? You didn't go up there this year, did you? We did not go this year. So we no. had planned to go. Right. Uh, but uh, our friends... So not to get long-winded, I'll keep it kind of short, but uh, Steve and Kelsey Meyer are friends of ours that, that we have gone with, and they just had a, a baby not that long ago, so they didn't feel comfortable leaving him because he's like five months old, not even five months old, four months old, something like that, leaving him um, that that young. Right. And then Nick Stolto, you know, my buddy that yep. is also an archer, will hunt with us here. Uh, he, his Two of his 
kids, his two boys, are in the rodeo circuit. Oh. And so they're having a lot of success in rodeo. And so anyway, both of those two couples um, canceled sort of pseudo last minute. We weren't able to to pull it together. And I wasn't going to pay the exorbitant ticket price it is, especially for the camping. They raise the prices again this year. It's just like, oh, come on, Larry. You're killing me, brother. I'm going to keep my mouth shut on this one. My wife's trying to teach me, at, even at my age, to keep my mouth shut <laughs> on certain topics. Is she having any success? or? <laughs> She's having a little success. <laughs> at least a little, I, I would say. At a least <laughs> after I open my mouth, I think of Lynn. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Oh. <laughs> but what the heck? I, I like to edify people. I try to build most people up. But there's always that itch to uh, <laughs> say something negative about somebody, and I try not to do that. And uh, I won't in this case. And uh, yeah, let's move on, man. Let's talk more about Bruce and some hunting adventures. Well, before we get to Bruce, Bruce, if I can ask for your patience for a few more sure. minutes, we have our second half segment, which is dedicated oh. to you, TK. Okay. Remember, this is all about music, and we like to mix the occasional wild game recipe, but this week it's going to be music. And so our producer, Danny, has picked a couple of celebrity photos out of your massive celebrity photo collection, <laughs> and we're going to... Boxes and boxes. i got to get them out. Surprise you with the pictures and let you tell our audience a little story about these you know, people. I kind of like this segment because, you know, in the last 40 years, people have always asked me about different entertainers. And typically I have wonderful and fun stories to tell about all of the entertainers. So now I'm going to get to talk about some entertainers and I don't know who it is yet. I don't either. I didn't look. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Ha! <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, Ringo so th- Starr. This week's this the whoop the first person is Ringo Starr. Yeah, Ringo Who's Starr. Who's Ringo Starr? TK. He was the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles. Ringo was pretty fun. Um, he's a real short guy. <laughs> I mean, he's really short. Uh, but you know, he's he's Ringo, man. He was the drummer the for the Beatles, Beatles, right? Gosh, we uh at the WeFest we did uh <clears throat> one year we did uh. Well, we always would bring in a rock and roll act. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at that poster behind you, there's acts like uh, Roy Orbison, there's uh, Little Richard, uh, there's you had Steve Martin Tubi. out there with his banjo. Yeah, Steve Martin, man, that was so cool. <laughs> I warm out my welcome with him. He says, "All right, I'm done with you." <laughs> he says, "I got to get my banjo tuned. Stop talking at me." And uh, so this year, one year we had the Doobie Brothers. I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah. But uh, Randy Levy, uh, our, uh, who wound up to be our sole owner of the WeFest, old roommate of mine, he always did that. I, I worked with the Ringo Starr and the All-Stars twice, once at uh, on uh, Miss St. Paul. Lynn was there with me once. I did a bungee cord jump. What was that called? Uh, the Festival on the River. Do you remember? I was on Harriet, oh, Harriet Island, Island. Wow. and uh, we had, like, we had, I was the last guy to introduce uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, we had Hank Jr. there. Iconic we had guitar the Bee Gees there. We had the Beach Boys there. I mean, the list goes on and on. We did that for about three or four years, and we had Ringo Starr and the All-Stars, and they're fun. You know, he'd have, Ringo would be there, but he'd have different celebrities from different bands, and typically most of them were from Europe or England. And uh, he was just peeking out the 
his uh, dressing room door, and I'm like, hey, Ringo. And he's like, hey, lad. <laughs> <laughs> so we come out and we BS'd a little bit, and he's just, you know, just small talk. He, he was just very friendly, and and you can see it in his act. Ringo, what a cool name. He'd say that in his act, you know. That's got kind of a ring to it. Ringo. He loved being Ringo. I mean, he was one of the Beatles, man. He's a, he's a worldwide icon. So Probably the biggest rock and roll band in history, the Beatles. Oh, gosh. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah. All right. You ready for your next uh, celebrity here? I mean, it was cool to meet one of the Beatles. We'll put uh, Ringo up here. If he'll stay. Can you stay, Ringo? That's not going to work with the glare. There we go. All right, our next celebrity, TK. Reba. Reba oh, yeah. is fun. What you see is what you get with Reba. She's, uh, I've said that before about a lot of artists, but this is, you can tell. Look at the hair, the belt buckle. I mean, she went from a oaky uh, mm-hmm. ranching girl to uh, glam and glitter. You know, not too many people live life with uh, a one name name. That's you know, true. Like, like Prince. Like Prince. Sariba, like Serena. You name it, the list goes on. But she was so fun. I mean, you know, I, I, one of my chores, one of my duties at the WeFest all those years was to present uh, all the female artists, whether they were big or small. I got to walk out on stage and uh, present them with a bouquet of flowers that was a gift from all of those at the WeFest and all of their fans from the North Country, and she was so. There's a picture right over there on the wall of me giving her flowers, and she was just so kind and nice and uh, happy to get those flowers and happy to be at the Wee Fest. You know, all those years we were the biggest country music festival in the world, and all of the entertainers in Nashville wanted to be on that stage because I talked about this at the Wee Fest this year, with Slamabama. Slamabama. Who was a band from Alabama, moved to Fargo, North Dakota, and they moved here because the money was better and the audience was more receptive. I said, you know, I've always said that. If you get it to the northern tier, because of our cold weather, we have a very enthusiastic group of people up here. And the middle states, it's a little bit slower, but you get down south, Mississippi and Alabama, it's hot and humid all the time. And those people are just, they're not very enthusiastic. They're just being brought down by the heat all the time. So they moved up here because of all of that. And uh, Reba was, you know, she was like, man, this crowd is so unbelievable. I said, all the entertainers say that when they get up here. When you're this far north in the northern tier, you got, and then he mixed in a few Canadians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here you go, oh. TK. Oh, there, that's a, that's a, that's that's a bad picture. That's Loretta Lynn. That's Loretta Lynn. Oh, does not doesn't it look like Reba? Sorry, it doesn't look like Reba. Reba's a, a bright, fiery redhead. Okay, look Loretta at, Lynn look is at, a brunette. That she looks like a redhead to me. You're backpedaling, producer Danny. There was Danny. A, a bright light shining on. My bad. That made it distorted, so I can see the error. Listen, I can edit this out. I can do what you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah, so we had a joke, TK, with the Rowdy Cowboy Show because we would talk about paying homage to all the traditional country artists from back in the day. So I used to always say, you talk about celebrity crushes, I was like, 
I'd leave my wife in a heartbeat for Reba. And I don't even care that she's 90 years old. <laughs> she's not 90, of course, but you know, Reba, it was the joke. We used to do a Christian music festival up there called Spirit Fest Midwest. And uh, her sister, who was a beautiful lady, um, Lynn might remember her first name, but she was a pretty famous Christian singer. And we had her on the stage. And I said to her, I said, you know, you look a lot like Reba. Oh, your last name is McIntyre. You must be sisters. She goes, duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she was a beautiful singer, too. You never hear about her much anymore. But yeah. I have seen her on some uh, old Nashville shows. But that's my little story about Reba. First-class woman, amazing singer, and, and a girl, a lady that certainly never got too big for her britches. No. You know, she's a down-home Oki from Oklahoma, and she knows where she came from. You got that right. But I, I had Lynn. All right. Bruce, you've been so patient over there. <laughs> Entertaining. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's that's the goal with the podcast, right? To bring entertainment. Mm -hmm. And you have been nothing but entertaining today, well, sir. You. So we're glad thank to have you with us. I'm telling you, all of our hunting uh, viewers are just going to be loving this podcast because you have <laughs> got some great, great history. And I've always known that. And you know what else? I called Bruce today at like noon. Maybe even, yeah, at noon I called him because we had someone else uh, signed up for the night, but he had to bail on us. And Bruce drove all the way down here two and a half hours to get here just to do our show this evening. So that's pretty cool, Bruce, that you did that. And you know what his response was? He says, you know, I've always been so busy, and I never had the opportunity to do favors for my friends, and I kind of regret that. But now I'm retired, and so I want to start doing some of those things. So if it's a favor to you, I'll be there. 7.30. And then he, com is. he comes in and I meet him. And the first thing he says is like, well, I drove down here, but I was crying the whole way because I didn't get a Wyoming antelope tag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. First time in forever. Tell that story because it's a good story. <clears throat> well, I knew what was going to happen sooner or later. Wyoming uh, has a draw system for antelope tags. And they have a, a class one tag, which is any property. And a, and a, a two dash tag is private land only. So forever there's been four to eight hundred tags left over in the private land area which is a 23 two tag so this year the rancher only lets a limited number of hunters every year so i always kind of wait to see how it goes uh get everybody in that wants to get in and and i always go pick up my ticket you know at the walmart store when i got to gillette on the 13th of for the opener of the 15th. Mm -hmm. So I was out there a couple of weeks ago getting all the blinds out of the old shed and getting them ready to go and repairing the blinds for we hunt on water holes and water tanks. And I whipped into Walmart. I said, yeah, I'll get an antelope license. She says, there aren't any. And I said, excuse me, you must be thinking 23-1. So she pulled up her computer and 23-2, they were gone. They sold out in a secondary draw, which I didn't know they were having. All those hundreds of tags sold out in less than an hour. So, so you're heartbroken. <laughs> talking to talking to Game and Fish, I called Game and Fish, and they said since COVID, the demand for non-resident tags in the Western states has been off the charts. So we maybe need to call Sodak and make sure we're okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that mean, might not be a bad idea. That's yeah. an over-the-counter license. Yeah. And, uh, so Wyoming now they have a new deal. You can go online now and buy a preference point for the upcoming year. So I went on. I bought a preference point for antelope and mule deer, so that I'm not in this situation. Usually mule deer, I draw. I was five years in a row. I was on a hot streak. And uh, this year is the first year I didn't draw mule deer tags. So 
So no Wyoming at all. <laughs> no, I'm going out there and I'm going to do some filming. I, I like to film hunts and spend time with the rancher and some of the other hunters that do have tags. And then I'll probably do some cooking in camp and antelope's nice. one of my favorite game meats. And, oh, me too. And uh, I, I love it when hunters come out there and they go, we hear antelope meat's not very good. I said, I tell you what, I'll, what? can I have all yours? And they're like, yeah, if you want it. So if you cool it down and prepare it right. right, and so then usually a big meal for them, I make a backstrap, boots and backstrap. Yeah, uh, buddy. I, I make antelope backstrap on the grill, and they lap it up like a, a dog at a dish. I mean, it's fantastically tasty. Do you uh, tell meat. them it's antelope, or you tell them it's something no, else? No, I said so I cooked it? up something for you guys here, you know, and, they, and I, 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 I make it for an uh, hors d'oeuvre. And then I also make it for an entree. And I, I'm passing the there. Everybody's out on the porch. It's kind of dark and having a cocktail and talking about the day's hunt. And I pass this, you know, aluminum cookie tin. Pan. Or yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and and everybody's just munch, munch, munch. Oh, geez. Oh, this is. And it's gone, you know. And they go, what was that? And I go, Somebody's licking the pan. <laughs> I go, your antelope. I want it back. Well, we just ate the back straps, you know. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It, it's I've got a picture in my archives of, of, of a big Weber grill, I've got four antelope full-size backstraps on that Weber. At the opening day of hunt, we harvested a bunch of bucks, and, and we got them in and cooled down right away, right. And, and I cooked the straps up for it. And I'm not kidding you, there was not a morsel left. I think six of us ate all those straps. It was, oh, I believe it. And, wow. and even the local, the ranchers come over, and they go, you guys eat antelope? And we go, yeah, you want some? They're like, oh. Is that ever good? So, yeah, yeah it's great. Well, meat. the reason they don't like it, and we've talked about this on the podcast, is a lot of the ranchers and a lot of the Western hunters, they'll shoot an antelope, they'll throw it in the back yeah. of their pickup truck, and by the time they get the hide off and get it cooled down, it's been more than an hour or maybe two hours. Yeah. And if you get that thing, if you get the hide off of it and get it cooled down right now, there is not yeah. a better meat on the planet. If you go to skin that animal and it's it's not warm, the flesh isn't warm. You made a big mistake. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to get that hide off when the animal is still fresh, and it's the best it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And that rule applies to any game. True. You True. know, yep. I, and this is a, one of the most important things I've taken from Tom and his uh, mentorship in the hunting industry is, regardless of whether it's antelope or it's deer or it's mm-hmm. bear or whatever it is, you got to get that hide bear. off quick. Yep. And let that meat cool down. And red is best. I mean, anything blue or fat or any sinew or anything like that, you know, any, everything that you put in your, your, uh, food processor or Ziploc bags or anything needs to be red. Anything that's not red shouldn't be in that bag. Right. And that just improves the quality of the cuisine hmm. so much better. And you're hunting south of Gillette? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the seventies, I went to my first Western hunt was Gillette, and we're it was so inexpensive I couldn't believe it. There was like eight of us that went out there, and uh, this they, this rancher put us up in his bunkhouse and they fed us, and I think it was fifty bucks. I mean, yeah. for, I swear it was something that cheap. But you know, we're talking the seventies, and the ranchers actually drove us around in their yeah. pickups, and. Yeah. Sometimes they'd put guys in corners because the antelope would run. And then sometimes we'd sit on water holes and whatnot. But we're mule deer hunting and antelope. And we all shot a mule deer. And I shot an antelope and another guy shot an antelope because we weren't well-versed in that. And we were kind of <laughs> amazed at how fast they were. Hmm. And this was a rifle hunt. But I got to tell you a quick story about that, Bruce. I was in a bar. I was going to meet 
my friends at this bar. I guess the rancher dropped me off, and my friends were going to meet me there. So I was at the time blackberry brandy was pretty popular. So mm-hmm. I was sipping on a blackberry brandy. Warm and, me up, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I was talking to the bartender, and maybe I have a flirtatious tone. I don't know, but the guy a male sitting, or female bartender, female bartender. Oh, okay. Just want to clear. So this guy <laughs> sitting next to me says, "You might want to think about leaving." <laughs> and I looked at him, and I'm like. My friends are going to meet me here. He says, no, you might want to think about leaving now. And he says, I said, why? He says, you see that boy walking down the bar? He's got a pistol in one hand and a boy knife in the other. And that girl you're talking to is his girlfriend. And I looked over there, and sure as hell, this guy had a boy knife in one hand, and he had a pistol in the other. We're in the old Wild West, man. And this is in the 70s in Gillette, Wyoming. And I'm like... Well, I don't have to be told twice. He looks a little pissed off, and I wasn't flirting with this girl, but I sure as hell got outside the door. Unfortunately, my buddies were there to pick me up. I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. And then as a restaurateur, which you became, you probably had that conversation with every female employee, like, don't let your boyfriend come in here and ruin my business. (laughs) Oh, but, you know, know, with the coal mining out there and the oil... The roughnecks are out there, mm-hmm. big time in in forest. And I don't know. Back then, there was probably coal mining going on, and he might have been just another roughneck. But it was a real taste of the old west, man. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not even exaggerating when I told that story. So there you go, Gillette, Wyoming, man. Pretty wild. Yeah, the old west is still alive out there. The, the rancher I hunt with is in his later 70s, and he tells stories about his grandfather driving cattle down the gravel road to the railhead in Gillette. Yeah. And, and I look out there, and it's a, it's a, it's a two-lane tarred with semis and oil trucks and everything roaring down there. He says, no, that was a gravel trail that we drove the cattle, you know, 15 miles into the railhead. Right, and, uh, right. The, 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 the Wild West still lives. It's tamed down version, but the history of the West is every time I go out there, it's yeah. just, you know, it's fantastic. To, all those Western towns yeah, with all the mounts yeah, and the horns. Yeah. We actually stay in a house that. on the ranch where we hunt that is a sod house. It was when his great grandfather settled the ranch, the first house they built was sod. So you can go in that old sod house. It's creaky and you could roll a marble all over the place on the floor. But when it's 85 outside, it's like 65 in there. Nice. It's just it's just the history of it. It's pretty amazing. Right, right. Huh. Yeah. Cool. cool, cool. Yeah, that cool. is very cool. So I would love to hear you uh, share some, because you haven't, you, we've talked a lot about your professional experience with the hunting and outdoor industry, but I'd love to have you share a story or two with us about your own personal hunts. Oh, gosh. Uh any favorite? Every hunt's an adventure, you know. Uh, everybody, everybody said, "What's your?" Speaking of pronghorn, <laughs> yeah. there you go, Bruce. Look yeah, I, I think pronghorn. that that was in. Um, I think that was last fall. How tall is that? Um, I think he was about fifteen, no, about fourteen and a half, but he had really good mass and Got uh, double uh, prongs. Yeah, yeah, it, that was a nice mature buck, and uh, yeah, you know, you can see in the background that. That broken Badlands country, it's about yep. 50 miles south of the Bighorn Mountains. On a clear day, you can see the snowy mountains in the distance. But oh, sure. it's just classic sagebrush, Badlands, you know, antelope country. But So Bighorn, you were in Wyoming then? Yeah, yeah, yeah just okay. south of Gillette. Yeah, you can see the Bighorns in the distance. And Yeah, the, the West is just special. I mean, it is. everybody says, what's your favorite hunt? And I say, what season is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if it's spring, I, I love walleye fishing and crappie fishing and i'm a bull fishing a holic uh i've got a 
a boat rigged up with lights for night fishing. And um, I think this year I spent, oh, I don't know how many trips I went on. I never fired an arrow. Look at that. Uh, Musky. Yeah. That's that, huge. Yeah, that's a 50-plus wow. on uh, Lake the Woods. That was a, <coughs> a kind of a story. A good friend of mine who used to manage the compound doctor, archery shop here in Minnesota, Keith Edberg, sure. is a great whitetail hunter. And also just a, a musky maniac. And he's been after me for years about going musky fishing. And I'm like, you know, Keith, I went musky fishing about 15 years ago with a friend of mine. We went to Lake of the Woods and uh, he'd been after me forever to go with him. I finally gave in and went and I caught a 36 inch musky the first day. And it was fun. We had a great time. And uh, I, I've never went again. I don't need another addiction. <laughs> and uh so yeah. so all these years like tom mentioned i always said i was such a busy business career with family and and everything else going on anyway keith had been after me to go to lake Woods musky fishing and he called me every year and asked me to go in august prime time and i said no nah, i'm too busy in my business i just had too much going on <laughs> and um in uh in 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 uh, 2019 he called me and i had shut my business down and i was semi-retiring and i said i'm going he's like what yeah, I, I said, I'm going to go musky fishing with you. So we went to the Lake Woods in five days, and uh, I think I caught six, six muskies and um, two over 50, lost a 50, a 48, and a 46. How many wow. on the figure eight? You, <laughs> I, I've got a great musky story for you. So Keith is, <laughs> Keith is in the front of the boat. He's got the ranger. He's got all the gear in the world. And I, I don't have any musky gear at all. I don't own one. I don't own any lures or anything like that. So anyway, he's in the front of the boat, and we're casting these reefs out in the lake. And he's telling me what we're looking for. And I said, you fish them first. I'm in the back of the boat. I'm just going to enjoy the scenery. And I've got, I'm going to kind of fish a different way. And he's like, oh, no, you can't do that. He goes, and I was casting out away from structure instead of into structure. And he goes, eh that's not how we do it. I go, well, you run the boat, you get all the choice spots, you fish, just let me fish. And when we hooked up our rigs the first morning, there was a hammer tone bucktail, kind of a copper silver blades on it, kind of a squirrel tail looking lure. If people have never seen a lure for a muskie, it's like a dog toy. <laughs> They're huge. It's, like a, a it's the size of a deer tail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why I call it a bucktail. But yeah. anyway, uh, and he goes, well, I don't ever use that one really. And uh, I said, I want to fish that one. That's the only lure I'm going to use the whole trip. Well, he has five rods with topwater, gigglers, wobblers, bloopers, <laughs> big creature baits, you name it, you know, topwater. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm fishing with that. So we're fishing away and, and he goes, Oh, big fish, big fish. And he had one follow in and he did a figure eight by it. And it just followed the figure eight around and started to drift down right past me in the back of the boat. And I go, is it okay if I catch that one? He goes, yeah. So I reached down with my rod tip and I whacked it in the tail. And it spun around, and I pulled my lure past it, and he bit it, and bam, it was a 50-inch. <laughs> and, and he was like, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. Well, anyway, long story short, I'm Was using, he pissy with you after that? He's, well, he caught, I think, one muskie or two muskies the whole five days, and I had, I was like a camp legend. Oh, Bruce got another 50, and everybody's like, how would you do it? I go, well, you don't really, you know. It's, using this bait he didn't want to use and fishing away he didn't want to fish. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know what I was doing, but it paid off in, in that regard. But we just had so much fun. He still, he still rolls his eyes uh, about it. But, yeah, so, you know, everything, fishing muskies like bow hunting, you know. You're, you're hunting that fish. Yeah. And to see a, a fish that size, you know, come up out of the depths and follow your lure in is. But I did catch, uh, I think I caught two on a figure eight. 
Cool. It, it's exciting. It, hunting it is exciting. that fish. Did you hear that? He yeah. said hunting the fish. Hunting it. Yeah. Well, her brother Blah. is a big uh, musky fisherman, and a lot of people refer to it as musky hunting. It's they like bow hunting. You yeah. know, it's a, if you're if you're hunting trophy mature whitetails, there's a lot of similarities, structure and pressure and timing and everything. You yeah. know, the musky guys are crazy. They talk about the window of opportunity. You know, they'll say, okay, today from three to four thirty, the moon's going to be in the right position and the temperature's right, the wind's right. They should be active. And you know, the guys that do it a lot, they know what they're doing. That's for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've got well, you got Malax here in Minnesota oh. where there's quite a bit of musky. And there's, uh, you know, probably 30 guides up there that take you out on their big rigs and heavy musky fish. We booked a guide a couple of years back for my nephew for graduation as a graduation present. Okay. Took him out there musky fishing, and we didn't have any luck. We had six rods on the, this big boat that we had out there trolling for three hours and mm-hmm. never even got a nibble. Yeah, that's fish of, what, 10,000 casts? That's what they that's say. That's what they say, yeah. you know. But. It's fun. I, I enjoy I, I'm not much of a fisherman. But I was with the promos when Randy Amonrud harvested a muskie similar to yours over 50 inches. I was with Ron Fisher, Randy Amonrud. Mm-hmm. You know, the promos, remember them? Mm-hmm. Gary promos. Roach. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm not going to go into that whole story. But that was fun, fishing for big fish. Mm-hmm. And casting, I enjoyed the casting and, really, and, and walleyes or whatever, but. Just to sit there and watch a bobber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big carp? Yeah. Night, bow fishing? Uh, night bow fishing is, is fun. This year I had the best year of uh, bow fishing I can recall in many years, and I never shot one arrow at a fish this year. Really? But I enjoyed taking so many people and watched their faces, and, and I chuckle the whole time because if you hit one out of ten night bow fishing, um, you're on a hot streak because of the light refraction right. and optical illusion of the arrow and the fish. So I just stand there next to them and point out the fish and then say when they're aiming, lower, 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 and they shoot and they still shoot over the fish. When you start missing them below is when you start hitting. Yeah. So it, I, I, I love it. It's just fun to take people out. So, But the problem is it's hard to find people to go bow fishing, you know. Um, you go on the water at 9, 930, and before you know it, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> So I've kind of run out of candidates. So if anybody's ever interesting in in bow fishing, so I think I'm going to have to take start, a road trip. Let's do it. I'm going to. I think it's to, worth a try. I'm going to have to start advertising to get people to go because it, before, you know it's hard to come off the water uh, if you're into the fish. You know? How many people you put in the boat at once? Um, I can take up to four. Okay, is it a uh, counting you or a boat? No, it's a twenty foot John boat. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and and a good night uh, is a fifty five gallon barrel full of fish, which on average is about forty fish. Jeez. So, and, and we get them up to 30s. And know? this is primarily carp or just kind of everything? Uh, we shoot a lot of dogfish, which is a bowfin, which is an invasive fish, a yep. predatory fish. And suckers, uh, are, are, but no game fish is legal. But you see so many walleyes and muskies right. and sturgeon and northern pike and crappies and bluegills. So a lot of my buddies call me up and they go, where'd you see the fish last night? I said, well, they're in this one bay the crappies are in there. So then they'll go out daytime fishing. <laughs> and I love daytime fishing too, but... But yeah, we should do a bow fishing trip next summer. You let's know, do it. Let's do next it. spring, and and just let's go do it. Yeah, yeah. We'll put that on the calendar before you leave tonight. Yeah, bring we'll your to bring your son along too. I, I love to take kids yeah. out, and I can. I have a couple bows set up that uh, just about any youth can draw back. Okay, lightweight. Yeah, yeah. He's got a. Uh, we 
got him upgraded at the beginning of this year with a nice Hoyt rig, mm-hmm. and uh, he shoots a, a fair amount. So he's he's pretty good. He's he's accurate out to about thirty or thirty five. <clears throat> yeah, the the bows that we have are are kind of like a recurve compound. They're zero, very little let off, and so you shoot them with bare fingers because you have to snap shoot. There's right. not time to draw and really aim. You have to snap, yeah. and and it's a lot of fun. I've never taken anybody yet that said they didn't have a good time. I bow hunted once. Uh, bow fished once off of my, behind my house, and I did shoot one uh, carp. And I was just standing on the bank, and uh, they were spawning, and it was fun. But I've always wanted to get on one of those big lighted boats, do it at nighttime. Yeah. and it <coughs> looks I, like fun. I had a major we'll buyer. Some high west. Yeah, yeah, I had a major buyer uh, come to hunt with me. Um, he, he, he was a buyer of fish bow fishing equipment for a major national company. And anyway, he's a turkey hunting aholic, so I always was after him to come and hunt turkeys with me. So he came to hunt turkeys, and I said, let's go bow fishing. And he goes, I don't want to bow fish. I go, you're the buyer for the bow fishing category, and you don't know anything about the equipment? I don't care. I, I don't want to bow fish. So I kept after him, and the second evening, he goes, if I go, will you stop? I go, yeah. <laughs> I said, we'll go for a half an hour. I'm going to put the boat in. We'll go for a spin. And in a half an hour, I'll set my watch. If you want to quit, we'll go in. Deal. We shook on it. And if you're turkey hunting and bow fishing, they don't mix because you're out in the water until right. 2, 3 in the morning. Right, right. I love to go right from the boat to the turkey blind, but I'm a little bit crazy. But So anyway, <laughs> I, we, we put the boat in, and we went off the axis just like the carp gods from above sent a 20-pound carp swimming by. And I go, there's one. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And he pulls back, he shoots, and he hits it, and it takes off. And they that's a powerful fish on the end of a line. You drop your bow, and you hang on, you pull them. Anyway, long story short, we came in off the water at 4 in the morning. Wow. We shot fish. He loved every second of it. And we still laugh about it to this day. He goes, I had no idea that was so much fun. Do you uh, wind up smoking some of that fish? You only can smoke so many. We compost yeah. a lot of them. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He but, probably you know, became a better salesman after that experience. Well, he understood the equipment. No you know? and, and I think that's the whole key to uh, being in the outdoor industry. If you have a passion and understanding of all the products you're selling, it it, it translates to the, your customer and to the consumer that you really do know what you're talking about and you enjoy it and you have knowledge to share. So yeah. it's all part yeah. of it. Yeah, he should know how to do it. That was a good deal. What do you think there, partner? No, I think this is going fantastic. Um, before we let you get out of here, though, I, I mean, you, I know you talked about Miles and you talked about Fred and you talked about some other folks, but I'd love to have you share another story with us about maybe somebody that's famous in the hunting industry, Bill Robinson, certainly, um, that you've had an interaction with. That mm-hmm. How much interaction story. have you had with Chuck Adams? Uh, uh, Chuck worked with uh, uh, Jennings yeah. and uh, with Bear Archery. <clears throat> when I was hired at Bear, Chuck was on staff there. He's a very nice, humble man. I enjoyed hunting with him and enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, the yeah. fireside visits with him where his stories are legendary. I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you got to hunt with him. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, not too many one I want to mention that. is a native company, uh, uh, Two Minnesota was big game tree stands on a window, Minnesota. Right. One of the innovators of ladder stands. And I was fortunate enough to meet Gary Queering and later worked for his son, Todd, for over 20-some years and represent the company as they became one of the largest tree stand companies in the United States. Yeah. So that was a great run. Uh, one of my favorite people I've ever worked for in the outdoor industry is Will Primos. 
Will and Jimmy Primos from uh, Mississippi with Primos Legendary Game Calls. Yep, they are legendary. And, and Will is one of the outdoor TV pioneers on video. And and I can tell you when you see Will and Jimmy on video, as much fun and as good a people they are, is exactly, just like Reba McIntyre, yeah. you said, they are real people. And the passion and the gratitude of the outdoors they have is just amazing. You know, they're just such good, real quality people. And uh, if I look back on the hunting industry from a business standpoint, I think Will Primos taught me more about business and how to run a business and marketing and packaging and developing products than anybody that I was able to work with. Will Will is just an iconic, wonderful human being and, and a great businessman. His to watch the the green packaging in all the stores of Primos, you mm-hmm. see that. To watch that company, it, it's an interesting story. Will was working for his dad in the Primos restaurant in Mississippi, <clears throat> and uh, uh, Will was a cook in his dad's restaurant. And in between orders, and when they were slow, he would make turkey mouth call diaphragms. Oh, interesting. And that, that's how he started the business. And so when I went to work for it with Will. Um, he had a, uh, his dad had like a, a, a business little complex next door and Will had a little cubicle in there. He'd unlock the door in the morning and go in and make turkey calls. He had one employee, two employees, three employees. And to watch that company grow into a multi-million, a million dollar iconic brand, you know, everywhere you went, there was Primo's calls. You turn on the TV videos, it's just yep. to, to watch it go from such humble beginnings. And <clears throat> one of the best stories I'll tell quickly about Will is the kind of person he is. So I think at that time I had five or six people in my company and our company grew to over 30 people while we were representing Will. It was a, it was a long run, a great run before he sold the company. So uh, I brought all my employees down to <clears throat> Mississippi and we went to his mom and dad's for dinner. So we sat there and had a wonderful dinner. Afterwards, went out on the porch with his mom and dad and Will. And uh, he he was so thankful and appreciative that we'd come all the way to visit him and meet his mom and dad, which was important to him. <clears throat> and he gave each one of our reps and myself a white envelope. And he said, open those, please. But before you do, I want you to know that I want to be the best, most profitable company and appreciative company you've ever worked for. Now open the envelopes. We opened the envelopes up. There was five $100 bills in each envelope. Wow. And do you think that didn't make a great impression on us? And, wow. and when the company grew and grew and grew into a huge company, we had our annual sales meeting one year. <clears throat> and it's common when your business grows that they reduce your commission rates that we earn on our sales. Uh, we'll announce to my whole company that I'm increasing the commission rate because you're doing such a great job. Wow. <laughs> so my, my sales reps would drive 50 miles out of the way to open up a new account because he was so appreciative. And and every new account we opened for Primos, which got to be over 2,000 accounts, he would call them personally and thank them for the order, whether it was $25 or $5,000. But that's how appreciative he was. Oh, he is a smart what, man. What a great guy to work for. Yeah, it, absolutely I think a amazing lot of people probably didn't know that about him. Yeah, what you see on TV with he and Jimmy, how they interact, and Will's yeah. more serious, and Will is, and Jimmy is just a hoot. That's exactly the way they are. They're really good people. I'm sitting on the road, southern Minnesota, southeastern Minnesota, looking over the bluffs. I'm, I've got my binoculars out, and I'm listening to Cuz give turkey calling. And I've got a diaphragm in my mouth, and I'm trying to imitate what he's doing. I've got a box call and a diaphragm. He's going back <laughs> and forth. And I got out of my car, and I went down this ravine and up the next, and I set up, 
And that very morning, I killed my first turkey imitating <laughs> what they were doing on wow. that cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that. Cassette tape or eight track? I was going to cassette tape. <laughs> it was tough packaging, those eight tracks. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, doubt. And when Turk Tom Glines, you mentioned him with the NW2F, yeah. when Minnesota first had a turkey season, it's crazy to watch how that sport has progressed in the turkey oh, yeah. population statewide. It, it's just a, in the springtime, it's just an amazing. Do you remember? They piss me off because we live in Rosemount and they're all over the place and I can't shoot them. <laughs> Like little jerks. It was, was it seventy eight that we first had our season? Gosh, I, I don't I recall. Was out there. That was down in southeastern Minnesota. Right. Only it was a lottery draw, and right. it was almost impossible to get a tag. Get some big toms out by me, I, it, and well, I, I got to watch brother, them and wave at them. <laughs> my oldest brother used to manage a state park, so I'd go down to Nodine, you know, the King and Queen Bluffs on mm-hmm. Highway sixty one, south of Winona. I hunted that country with my recurve bow, and that's where I shot my first turkey, and. uh I think it was 78. Uh, and the turkeys are certainly smarter now than they were then. My my, oh, my yeah. decoy was a board with painted brown and gray. The head was gray. And it was just a silhouette, just a board. Mm-hmm. And I called, well, I did call it in. Young gobbler come right up. It wasn't a Jake, but it wasn't a big one. I, sh- I was sleeping. I all of a sudden heard him. I was just laying back, but I had my eyes. Anyway, I'm sorry. And I had my shotgun on there, and I pulled it up. And by the time I got my shotgun up, he was already running away. I shot him <laughs> in the back of the head. And I'm telling you, I was so – you would have thought – It's a good shot. I, you would have thought I shot a record book 10-point buck because mm-hmm. I was so darn excited. It's an amazing sport. It is an amazing sport. Yeah, we're going to go out. You know, we always went out the week uh, before Labor Day antelope hunting but this year we're going to go the week after labor day just because of timing but i've never hunted that antelope that late where are you going uh over by buffalo yeah in wyoming no south dakota oh south dakota it's (laughs) northwestern south dakota and uh, yeah the ruts now they're all going to show up over there tom (laughs) the ruts around the 20th 20th to 24th in wyoming is when the, the, the antelope rut is normally right in that In August. Part. Yeah, in, in right. September. Oh, in September. Yeah. Oh, it's that late. Yeah. yeah. That's like elk rut, too. we used yeah. to get into mm-hmm. the rut quite a bit. And, you know, if you're decoying like we mm-hmm. like to do, that's one of the reasons we're going a little bit later this year because we want to hit some of that rut. Mm-hmm. And I think this year we'll dry as a popcorn fart out there. It's no rain. very dry, yeah. A rancher yeah. friend of mine's are said, we haven't had any rain. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of the ranchers are probably going to have to sell their herds down, their cattle yep. down there because they just can't afford to purchase the hay and there's no grass and no hay crop and right. it's a bad deal. Well, Any suggestions for us on parting words on the way out the door here for our upcoming antelope hunt with it being dry out there? Water. Find the water holes. Yeah, find the water, right? Water and green are Set the up two on the... combinations for antelope that you can't go wrong on. Usually if it's green when you're out there later, it's alfalfa or wheat yep. and water's water. Yeah, so. set up on the water and wait it out, right? There's a, there's a lot of walk-in areas in South Dakota yep. um, where there's no motorized vehicles. Yeah. So investing in an electric bike or a, or a mountain bike, you can, pop, you can pop over those gates and ride back into these ranches. Um, pretty amazing hunting opportunities out there around Buffalo and yeah. in that area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, All right. Uh, I have something. I've always been leery of the it. bicycle deal out there because there's a fair amount of cactus out there. Uh, don't you think those cactus would go through those tires? Well, I can tell you in Missouri, uh, they have thorn apple trees and things yeah. like that down there that I had to put 
really ramp up my tires on my electric bike in order to get stop getting the punctures. I think I had three or four by the time I fit, got it figured out on on how to double tire it and, and you know do a double tube in it and, oh, and yeah. use all the green goop and and all that stuff. But electric bikes are that's one of the hottest categories. We could talk about that a whole show. I mean that that technology. Rambo is a company I work with, yep. which is um, was a Minnesota based company. And uh, make a tremendous product. You know, those 1,000-watt bikes are amazing. I had one sitting in my garage here. I used it once turkey hunting, and it was fine. It was kind of cool. Uh, but I just sold it recently and because uh, I'm never – I don't – just maybe I'm old school or maybe my ass is getting too small because <laughs> it can't – It's I called frog butt, Tom. Yeah, I got, got the frog butt going. So What do you got, Danny Geo? Audio. There we go. That's it. Where is it I can find help? You know the critter's worth cash money when skint. Ride due west as the sun sets. Turn left at the Rocky Mountains. Goosebumps right now. Absolutely goosebumps. Look at that thing. Elk season begins at one of our favorite places, the Belt Mountain Range in Big Sky Country, Montana. I've hunted that range. Tracked a big bull through that range, spent all morning. Hello, I'm Wilbur Primos. All these hunts are exactly as they happen. There's no fancy edits, there's no stage scenes. The calling you're going to hear is excited calling, but all these hunts are as they actually happen, and that's why we call it the truth about hunting. When the truth began in 1987, we had no idea where this journey would take us. 30 years later, we're still having fun. Welcome. The Primo's Truth About Honey. Beautiful. It's the good stuff. I was in the Little Belts and I was tracking. A, a, I could tell it was a big bull, big print, and it was in the snow. And I tracked him all morning and winding through these mountains, and I knew where I was going. And I got, all of a sudden, I don't know, right around noon, boom. Maybe it was 11 o'clock. Some other ranchers knew exactly where that bull was going to cross the road. And they were sitting there in their truck, and I was tracking them, and they shot him before I could shoot him. And uh, he was crossing the road right in front of them. I think they just stepped out of their truck and bang. So I spent a fruitless morning in the little belts. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what, it's been so much fun, gentlemen, sharing yep. this time with you. Appreciate it. Listening to a couple of uh, experienced hunters, worldly travelers, talking about their time in the outdoors and uh, their contribution to the hunting community. We appreciate that very much. Well, I'm so excited Bruce had an opportunity to come and took the time to drive all the way down it here. It sounds like you had to bring his passport to get here. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, you're an amazing guy, and I've always Thank loved you. you. And uh, We've uh, had a lot of interaction throughout the years, but doggone it, let's do a little bow fishing, maybe a little deer hunting, yeah. turkey let's hunting, whatever. I'm retired. You're retired. You're not. Well, I work, I work for myself, so. You're in. I am in. He's in. 
All right, folks, thanks a lot for joining us for this week's episode of Boots and Backstraps. Uh, we sure appreciate you sitting in with us and uh, talking to Bruce Hudala. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yep. All right, picked it up earlier. Uh, Hudala. And uh, don't forget to like, share, comment, and uh, subscribe to all the platforms, regardless of where you're listening in or where you're watching. Sure helps the algorithm when you're putting those comments out there and you're sharing these episodes around on the uh, interwebs. We appreciate that. And, of course, send your questions, comments, and snide remarks over to Boots and Backstraps Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will be uh, checking those as well. TK. Hey, whether you're belting out your favorite country song or pursuing your favorite game animal, I encourage you to use that same passion to pursue the Lord. He'll teach you to shoot straight. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. On his own, looking for backstraps Way deep in the woods Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield Under the harvest moon When the tags are filled It's time to switch up our boots Head down to the honky-tonk Get us a swing dance or two We're talking about boots And backstraps